and welcome to the Did You Know Crypto Podcast, Episode 7, Cryptocurrency Mining. Today, we're going to be going over what a miner actually does and why they're so important to the network itself. But first, I'd like to say thank you for listening and wanting to learn more about blockchain technology and cryptocurrency, but mostly choosing to do that with me. I really do appreciate it. In the first few episodes, one and two, we talked about miners briefly, how they fit into the blockchain and Bitcoin. But today I wanted to go a little bit more in depth and explain what they actually do so you can kind of understand this whole system just a little bit better. There are a multitude of varying systems in crypto, and I'm going to be going over them briefly in this podcast and more in depth in a later one. But for the sake of simplicity and focus, let's just concentrate just on the Bitcoin proof of work model for the majority of this episode. There's proof of stake, delegated proof of stake. There's quite a few other ones. And I'm actually going to be going over those specific consensus models and how miners fit into those in a future episode. But just to go over the actual mining, this really has mostly to do with the proof proof of work model. So Bitcoin is a network of nodes. And some of these nodes are mining nodes and others are just computers that hold an entire copy of the Bitcoin blockchain and they are called full nodes. All mining nodes contain an entire copy of the Bitcoin blockchain, but they also have the added function of mining approving block transactions, while full nodes don't do any mining at all. They just have a copy of the full blockchain and they help to verify individual transactions as well as make sure that everybody's operating on the same copy of the blockchain. Both full nodes and mining nodes can validate individual transactions and allow them to be included in blocks, but only mining nodes can validate blocks of transactions and write them onto the blockchain. Only mining nodes can perform the proof of work, which is what's called the proof of work model, that allows them to create these blocks of transactions and put them onto the blockchain and then get the block reward, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Let's just walk through a basic Bitcoin transaction. I decide to send you one Bitcoin. So I go into my wallet, I input your address, and I press send. Once I do that, I am broadcasting this individual transaction to the entire Bitcoin network. The node nearest to me will receive this, and whether it's a mining or a full node, it's going to check to see that I actually own the Bitcoin that I'm sending. And once they check their copy of the blockchain and see that it's a good transaction, they're going to signal out to the rest of the network that, yes, this is a good transaction. And the rest of the nodes on the network as well are going to check that person's work and make sure that they're good. And as other nodes receive this transaction, like I said, they're going to check their copies. And once it's validated and the rest of the nodes on the network agree that it's a good transaction, it gets sent in what's called the mempool, which is just a pool of transactions that are unconfirmed. So if it's not actually been included in a block by a miner yet, even though the transaction is considered valid, it's considered a unconfirmed transaction. And it basically just sits there until the next block comes up and then that's where the miners come in. As of right now, you wouldn't have access to this Bitcoin because it has to be, like I said, included in a block before it becomes yours. Mining nodes are competing with each other to write the next blocks by basically solving a complicated math problem more akin to a guess than an actual math problem. Once our transaction is bundled with others into a block, and written into a blockchain, that block is then verified by the rest of the mining nodes on the network. 
And after a majority agree that it's a valid block, our transaction is confirmed and the funds are made available to you. All of this happens every single 10 minutes on the Bitcoin blockchain. Some other blockchains, like I said, are different. They operate faster or slower. Actually, pretty much all of them operate faster, but there's reasons for that. But we'll go into that in a different episode. Every new block is like a puzzle trying to be solved or that needs to be solved. To be more technical, right? And this is the last time I'll really kind of go into this kind of technical mumbo job. They're trying to find a 64 hexadecimal number that's within a certain range. Hexadecimal is a number that zero through nine represent the numbers zero through nine and the letters A through F represent the numbers 10 through 15. So if you have one and then F, that's actually one and 15. Anyways, they're trying to find a number that's within a certain range by applying a randomly guessed number to the data in the block and they pass it through what's called a hash function. If the number that they put in comes within the range that unlocks that block, they win, for lack of a better term. They are able to unlock that block, and then they get the block reward. If they don't, they just keep on trying again. And all this is happening very, very fast. There's you know tens of thousands of different miners that are all trying to guess randomly over and over and over again until one actually solves it. So this sounds like Greek to everybody, right? So this try to uh, make this a little bit more simple. Think of it like an extremely complex game of guess what number I'm thinking of, except it's with millions of people and your number's really long. Another way to really think about this and kind of simplify it, think of the block like a piece of luggage with some luggage inside that gives it some weight. To get on the plane, your luggage has to weigh a certain unknown amount. They don't tell you that. You put your luggage on a scale and then you see it's 25 pounds. You take a 10-pound weight, and you place it on your bag, making the total 35 pounds. The flight rep shakes her head, says, nope, you got to try it again. So you put a 10 pound and a five pound weight on there. She shakes her head again. You keep going till you find en- finally end up with 72 and a half pounds, which is the correct answer to get your luggage on the plane. You never know what the answer for the total weight is, but every passenger is kind of like a miner. They're all up at that desk trying desperately to guess what that correct weight is. Now, let's add a little bit more to this analogy to make it correct. Imagine there are millions of check-in counters and everyone's guessing at the same time. However, once someone does get the right answer and gets to put their luggage on the plane, the weight that they want you to be at changes again. So you have to try again. You have to start all over again. Now, this all may sound a bit goofy. Why make verifying blocks and transactions so arduous? The reason lies really in the history of digital currencies and why proof of work and Bitcoin were such a really revolutionary concept when melded together. The idea of a digitized currency isn't difficult if it's actually centralized. A bank can tokenize their assets and control internally what is and isn't a legitimate transaction. They already do this in a way since really 97% of all U.S. dollars are non-physical. I won't go back over why centralization is a much less desirable system than a decentralized one. But in a nutshell, centralized systems offer a single point of failure, while decentralized systems are inherently more secure and robust and much more egalitarian. The problem with attempts to create a decentralized digital currency in the past has always been what they call the double spending problem. This problem is exactly what the name suggests, being able to spend your money twice. With a physical dollar bill, I can't go into a coffee shop, 
hand them a five for a coffee, then you use that exact same $5 bill to pay for gas later. That coffee shop takes that $5 bill and it's totally out of my hands forever. With a digital currency, you can technically make a copy of that dollar to send to a retailer while retaining the original in your wallet. Full and mining nodes buy verifying transactions through their copies of a blockchain. Don't allow someone to double spend because your transaction is checked against thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of the blockchain. Make sure that you actually have that specific piece of Bitcoin that you want to send. And they make sure you haven't spent it already. Double spending is technically possible, but only if you're able to control 51% of the network, which would allow you to create whatever version of the blockchain that you want. When I say possible, I mean highly improbable. This is why decentralized networks are so, frankly, you know, beautiful. With tens of thousands in the future, millions of copies of the blockchain on these nodes throughout the world, the chances someone is able to control a majority of them is so infinitesimally small, especially since the network's always continuing to grow, it makes it more improbable every single day. The reason that proof of work and this goofy, guess what number I'm thinking of, is so really revolutionary is that it creates a barrier to entry for people to verify these blocks of transactions. The proof of work that a miner needs to provide, i.e. showing the guesses they made and verifying that the correct answer that they say they have is in fact correct, keeps bad actors from being able to attempt to gain control of the networks. Remember, it has to be over 51%. Or to send what are called spam transactions to clog up the network with fake invalid junk. Proof of work makes it a net loss to try and mess with the network. It provides financial incentives for miners to do good things and financial disincentives to do or attempt to do bad things. The fact that Bitcoin has existed as a network for nearly a decade is a testament to its security. It's really the greatest try and break me project in the world. If you could figure out how to do it, you could literally literally print Bitcoin and become a billionaire overnight. No one has done this ever. It's easily verifiable because every single transaction and creation of Bitcoin is on the copies of the blockchains worldwide. So why do miners do this work? If you remember from episode two, there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin created ever. As of writing right now in May 2018, there are roughly 17 million Bitcoins in existence with another roughly 4 million or so to be mined, with the last one expected to be mined in 2140. The way new Bitcoins enter the ecosystem is through the mining reward. When a miner successfully mines a block, they are rewarded with 12.5 Bitcoin. And the original block reward when it first started was 50 Bitcoin. It is now halved every 210,000 blocks, which means in about two years... Expected to be late May 2020, the block reward will have again and will drop to 6.25 Bitcoin per block mined. This makes Bitcoin technically a deflationary currency, even though they are creating some right now, where its value goes up over time versus, say, the dollar, which is a inflationary currency whose value goes down over time. In fact, the US dollar has lost about 98% of its value over the last 100 years. So how does someone mine Bitcoin? With Bitcoin in the early days, you could actually mine on your laptop using the CPU. Later, people began to use GPUs, which are graphics cards. A lot of times you use those for gaming or for having multiple screens. And these are more, slightly more powerful processors than the CPU. 
And this offers what's called hash rate. So CPUs have less hash rate than GPU. The more hash rate you have, the more likely you are to be able to mine a Bitcoin. Eventually, people created very specialized mining processors called ASICs, which stands for Applied Specific Integrated Circuit. These pieces of equipment are good for nothing other than mining Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, mainly in China, but growing in other parts of the world, specifically Canada as well, are these massive warehouses that contain thousands, even millions of these uh, ASIC miners. It's important to note that just because you have a large mining operation doesn't mean that you're going to get the reward every time over, say, a small, smaller mining operation. The odds are the same for every miner out there. However, the more hash rate you have, the better chances to guess the correct answer first. So a smaller miner is going to have a lower combined hash rate than a very large miner. So the odds are in the favor of the larger miner. ASICs cost thousands of dollars and use a considerable amount of power, depending on your individual location, power costs, and everything like that, as well as what ASIC that you're running. One ASIC miner could be between 600 to 1800 US dollars in power consumption just to mine one Bitcoin. When you consider that Bitcoin is about $18,000, or I'm sorry, about $8,000 as of writing, that's usually a pretty good deal but it just kind of depends on your area. Sometimes you get to points where, as we are approaching, actually where it gets upwards of thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars actually to mine one Bitcoin. This cost is another reason why it's highly improbable that someone could ever gain control of the network. The sheer amount of money it would cost to purchase the equipment, to get the power, to have 51% of the hash rate of the network is astronomical. Plus the fact that it, you now basically will probably have like, hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars, depending on when you listen to this, in equipment investment that is only good for mining Bitcoin and that's only meant to mine a coin that if you now do a 51% attack and basically render Bitcoin's network useless, you now have all this equipment that's not going to be able to be used for anything else either. So there's also financial disincentives for doing anything like that, even as highly improbable as it ever is that someone could do this. I want to also reiterate that when I'm using these terms like highly improbable, that I, I want you to really understand that when I say highly improbable, I'm talking about like Vegas odds beyond that. I'm talking asteroid hitting the earth, aliens invading, right? So I don't ever like to say the word impossible because it is not impossible especially on smaller networks of unknown coins. But with Bitcoin, every year it's getting more and more improbable. And like I said, the fact that this has never happened doesn't mean that it can't ever happen. But the fact that it has never happened means that it probably will never happen because if somebody could do it, they would have done it already when the network was smaller. And we've been focusing on Bitcoin for this whole episode so far to make it easy to follow because proof-of-work mining is really what most people are talking about when they mention the word mining cryptocurrencies, and it makes it easier to follow. So Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, these all currently use the proof-of-work model Dash as well. There are other models such as proof-of-stake, delegated proof-of-stake, and everything like that we'll talk about here in just a minute. And Ethereum is thinking about moving to proof-of-stake, but for the most part, most coins are proof-of-work. So sticking with the proof of work model again for just a minute, 
there are different coins that still use proof of work, but have introduced a little bit of code that make themselves ASIC proof so that they still allow someone to buy a few thousand dollars in mining equipment like graphics cards and hobble together a rig. This is actually how I got started in the crypto community. I'd been aware of Bitcoin and crypto and was supportive and excited on a philosophical level, but I actually got physically started and physically involved when I built two mining rigs back in 2013-2014 to mine Litecoin mostly. I had, actually it was Litecoin, Feathercoin, Dogecoin, any coin that was basically the most uh, profitable that day is what what I would uh, what I would mine. They each had six GPUs that I overclocked, and luckily I was in Idaho at the time who had really low power costs, and so they actually lowered a lot of my overhead. The heat put off by them made the room so warm that even though the window was open, I was able to continue to grow tomatoes indoors in December. If you wanted to build a mining rig today, there's really nothing stopping you for these coins that uh, are ASIC-proof. It's not horribly technical to do so, although it, 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 there is a bit of a steep but rewarding learning curve uh, for me, at least, to build this mining rig and learn a little bit about building actually a computing system from scratch. There's not any like coding or programming, but there is a little bit of command line stuff that you will have to do to do it. But there's YouTubes and uh, YouTubes, there's YouTube videos, as well as a lot of really helpful forums that'll help you do that. Power consumption is a touchy subject for the crypto community, as it's a growing concern with Bitcoin mining actually using more power now than the entire country of Ireland at the time of writing. There's no way for the proof of work model to function without highly intensive energy systems to run it. There are, however, other models of consensus, which means how the network reaches a decision that have been proposed and in some cases implemented. And I'm going to go over these briefly, how they work and what they are. But in a future episode, I'll go over them more in depth. So proof of stake is the other, or is the other model I've already mentioned before. This model means that anyone can verify transactions that's in the network, uh, verify transactions that blocks, but your ability to verify is limited to the amount of coins that you hold. For example, let's say that you are using let's just call it stake coin, and you have 1 million out of the total 10 million stake coins in existence, you're twice as likely to be picked to validate a block than someone that has, say, 500,000 stake coins, but twice as less likely to be picked than someone with 2 million stake coins. Basically, in other words, the more coins that you hold, the more likely you are to be picked and gain the reward for providing that service. This has been proposed as a more environmentally friendly system as it requires very little energy to run these sorts of verifications than on proof of work. Master notes. While Dash is still technically a proof of work model, they have instituted a master node feature that allows someone to get a thousand Dash, put it in their wallet, and per th this allows them to provide specific verification services on the wallet, especially for like private instance and stuff, as well as for vote on community decisions. At any time, the individual can move their funds out of the wallet. So it's not technically staked in a way. They can move it out of the wallet. But once it ever falls below that 1,000 threshold, they lose their rights on the network to act as a master node. Delegated proof of stake. This is very similar to proof of stake. However, there are a set number of people who can verify transactions and create new coins on the network and are actually voted in by the community. So 
ARC is an excellent example of this. Any person can register. This is just for ARC, remember. So any person can register as a delegate in the ARC system to try and get votes. They make basically a community proposal of like, this is why you should vote for me. The delegates who get in the top 51 in terms of total vote counts are given the rights as fortune delegates. And this changes in real time. So if someone's just barely made 51 and tomorrow there's somebody else that, that beats them out, then they lose their rights as of the time that that vote is received. These delegates uh, that are forging delegates verify transactions and write new blocks on the ARC blockchain while also being rewarded to ARC per block. And these blocks happen every eight seconds versus 10 minutes on the Bitcoin blockchain. Most delegates have a profit sharing portion with their voters, which means if you are, say, 1% of that delegate's total votes, you'll get 1% of the ARC that they forge and have pledged as a voting share. Like proof of stake, there is extremely low energy inputs needed to verify transactions as compared to the Bitcoin proof of work model. The main trade-off is that proof of work requires resources that are external to the blockchain, while proof of stake requires resources that are internal to the blockchain, i.e. physical mining equipment and computations versus, say, proof of stake, which is just coins that are held on chain. Proof of work does provide higher degrees of security to the blockchain than proof of stake, which is why it is such a contentious issue within the space at the moment. There are many other proposed consensus models, such as proof of activity, proof of space, proof of burn, proof of capacity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But these are, are the main models, the proof of stake, proof of work, delegated proof of stake. These are the main models that exist today in real form in the crypto space. And remember, once again, I'm going to have an episode coming up here very soon, specifically on different consensus models, where I'll go more into detail regarding some of the other proposed models as well. I hope this helped you understand transaction and block validations and how miners fit into that a lot better. I want to thank you for listening. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram with any questions you may have. If you want to support us, shop through our Amazon link on the homepage or go to diginocrypto.com slash support. You'll find all of our podcasts, articles, and social media links on diginocrypto.com. That's diginocrypto.com.